BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Interesting action today. And I'm not talking about the Dow up 104 points, S&P up 0.81%, NASDAQ 1.9% jump. Wow. But ever since we got over the pandemic, Wall Street has punished the stocks that thrived during the worst days of COVID-19. The so-called pandemic names, they've been written off as returned to normalcy losers. Except for some temporary reprieves during the Delta and Omicron waves, they've either been dead money or totally toxic to your portfolio. And boy, have they weighed down on the NASDAQ. That is until today. Now, I'm not sure why. It could be because Elon Musk took a 9.2% stake in Twitter, a stock that performed admirably during the early days of the pandemic and has done awfully since. It could be because some major institutions simply decided that these beaten down companies deserved a second look. I don't care. Let's take them one by one, starting with the poster child for the pandemic stocks, Peloton. Now, this stock traded up to 171, all right, early last year before crashing down to $20 in one of the most ignominious swan dives I've ever seen. Too much inventory, possible cash crunch, poor management, the works. Even as the founder, John Foley, is a brilliant guy. Doesn't matter. With the crash and burn of the stationary bike stock, Peloton needed to bring in someone new. Unbelievably, they snared Barry McCarthy, the subscription mastermind who worked his magic at Netflix and Spotify. With McCarthy at the helm, I am bullish on Peloton. Even if this quarter's weak, I think it's worth owning as a long-term bargain, and today's 5.7% run makes sense to me. All right, how about the other pandemic poster child? Zoom Video. Eric Yuan. Paging Dr. Icarus. Paging Dr. Icarus. Zoom flew too, way too, way too close to the sun. Right? Our Mr. Sun, uh, tumbling from 588 and, uh, to 94 in less than 18 months. So that is a move that's totally reminiscent of the dot-com era, isn't it? There's one difference, though. The dot-com obliterations weren't worth much because the businesses were never viable. Zoom, on the other hand, is extremely viable. It just got too expensive. Here's the real issue. It's still fairly expensive. It trades at 35 times earnings. 
Zoom simply must do something besides being a well-managed video conferencing company or also wind up like the TV set companies of old, think Admiral, RCA Victor, too many competitors. There will be nothing special about a video phone suit. If they don't do something, if they remain as they are, then I say, count me out. I feel the same way about DocuSign, an incredibly valuable product that will keep being used and even expand its reach because their digital contract signing platform is just that good. But with COVID receding, more deals will now be done face to face because that's a tradition and lots of businesses are pretty hidebound. They're going back to some of their old ways. The fact that DocuSign still sells it 56 times earnings after it's plummeting from the high tells you it never should have been up here in the first place. So why would it stop at 112? Okay, so much of being cooped up, so much, meant watching something, anything on television, and that's why Roku caught fire. But the stock flew from less than $60 to $490, an absurd climb driven by some overexcited money managers. Roku's now come down to 134 but even here it sells at a ridiculous 79 times earnings. Hey, you know, the stock's on 7% today. Why? Because they extended their deal with Amazon, although I never thought that deal was in doubt. Unless Elon Musk takes a huge position here, I'm betting this will be a one-day move. Now, very complicated because what happens later in the show. DoorDash, all right, it fell from north of 250 to below 75 before rebounding pretty nicely to 127. Now, I actually have high hopes for this company long term. Notice I said the company. But because it's losing money, I can't recommend the stock. This is an environment where profitability is king. That said, DoorDash is a really great story. It's locked up much of the country with its delivery networks. Smaller restaurants need to use DoorDash if they want to survive. There's no choice. Oh, and and please stay tuned as we will have the biggest threat to DoorDash coming up right on our show. All right, how about Shopify? How about Etsy? Why anyone thinks of these as pandemic places is actually beyond me, but that's how their stocks have been trading. I know that Shopify, the e-commerce enabler, is no Amazon. But then again, they never printed me, and there'll never be another Amazon. I think it works longer term, but the company still needs to grow into this market cap. Okay, nice move today. As for Etsy, now this one, I have no idea how to value this one. Nobody else does either. But its market cap seems way too small at $17 billion versus its opportunity. The online marketplace for handmade goods has unleashed talent all over the place. It's created, it's created it's just so many companies, but I'm really thinking about all the women who have been able to finally get a company. And Etsy has helped them. That is a long-term bullish trend. They built a huge platform here, and I think the stock deserves to trade higher. How about PayPal? All right, this is an online payments uh, company that had been growing at 20%, even as they spent years disentangling themselves from eBay. I liked PayPal because it seemed like it was on track to become the best worldwide bank, something that would let them increase their growth rate and justify the $200 billion market cap plus. I was wrong. PayPal will be lucky to have 18% growth this year. I don't think they can do that. And whenever a growth stock sees that kind of deceleration, it gets crushed beyond all recognition. And that's what happened here with PayPal, PayPal plummeting from 310 to 92, where it started bouncing. If you believe these guys can reaccelerate that growth rate, then the stocks will buy down here at 26 times earnings. Although PayPal will have to demonstrate a new level of consistency if it wants to justify even its $142 billion market cap. It doesn't hurt that Wells Fargo just initiated coverage of PayPal with an overweight rating, talking about a $1.5 trillion global market opportunity for fintech. But I got this one wrong. And uh, Board of the Travel Trust took about a lot of the wins. This one's a loser and will remain a loser. And it's quite painful. 
Finally, I want to include AMD, which surged to above 160 last year, then fell to about 99. It's worse in late January. I mean, that was just awful. AMD's two main businesses are CPUs and graphic chips, beating their hostage to the PCs. And many people believe we're seeing a PC slowdown because once you're built your home office, well, who needs another computer? But AMD's got huge exposure to gaming, and that remains very strong. All the major consoles are sold out. They're also a heavy hitter in high-performance computing, augmented by their acquisition of a data center plumbing company called Pensando that's integral to cloud build-out. And they've got telco exposure, courtesy of the Xilinx deal. CEO Lisa Su was on with me on Squawk of the Street this morning, talking about a 30% growth. Yet her stock sells at 27 times earnings. That's not ridiculously cheap, but it is normal cheap. AMD is one of the best semiconductor names, a very enterprise-oriented business at a time when enterprise is strongest of any of the customer cohorts. It's not a consumer company. The bottom line, when you see all the so-called pandemic plays roaring without any kind of upsurge in COVID, you've got to take them on a case-by-case basis. But these were the companies that really did move the NASDAQ higher today. Some of these will be one-and-done moves, but I think the higher-quality names have overshot their downside and can bounce for more than one day before they run out of steam. Aaron in California. Aaron. Hello, Jim. Aaron. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thanks for all you do for us. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you. What's going on? Okay, my question, and I sort of have two of them, is about Square, or Block as it is now known. Right. I bought Square around 32 because you tell us to buy what we know. Right. I'm a jewelry designer, and I use Square at my art shows. So my concern is with its exposure to Bitcoin now. I've ridden the square up all the way to 289. I still own it, and it's no longer at 289. No. My first question, do you expect it to get back anywhere near there now that it's attached to Bitcoin? And second question, should I consider owning Bitcoin because I now have exposure through it? With Square. Well, and you know, Bitcoin is beyond my ken. I mean, I own Ethereum for, I can't own stocks, but I do own some Ethereum. I like it. Uh, my problem with Block, formerly Square, is that it's still very high multiple, and we're trying to stay away from the very high price earnings multiple stocks. You're up very big on it. It was up 11 points today. I think, Aaron, you should take a little off the table, even though it was much higher one, at one time. John in Colorado, John. Hi, Mohai. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. What's up? First time, long time. My stock is a Silicon Valley stock, but it's not a FANG stock. They went on to resist an Apple buyout, and then Photoshop and PDF were theirs. Given your track record of naming great pets after great companies, should I call my next puppy dog Adobe? Well, well, let's see. kind of depends on the breed. Um, I would tell you this. Adobe is where it was after they reported the so-called bad quarter when Shantan Ryan came on, squawk on the street, and I thought told a very compelling story, and I want to be long Adobe, not out of Adobe. I think you have a good one, not a dog namer, but a good stock. All right. Some of these pandemic plays that are surging will be one-and-done moves. All right. They absolutely will. These are not great stocks because there are, there are things wrong with every single one except for AMD. I think the higher-quality names have overshot the downside, including AMD, and can bounce for more than one day. On oh, Mad Tonight, Qualcomm, talk about a stock that flamed out. Completed steel for advanced driver driving system 
arriver. So this is member ADAS. Could the deal drive the stock even higher? I'll talk to CEO. Then with the first quarter of 2022 in the books, I'm recapping all the action, highlighting the winners and calling out the underperformers. Plus, the Wonder Truck made a special visit to CNBC today. I'm asking the top brass who you will love of startup group Wonder Group. All about the company's plans to get 1,000 of its food trucks on the road just this year. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? With almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise. Dedicated to shaping brighter futures for our students and franchisees, Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and our proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Two months ago, Qualcomm got hit with a miscarriage of justice. The semiconductor and wireless technology powerhouse reported a magnificent quarter, but its stock got hit response, and the darn thing just kept going lower. Qualcomm is now down 18% since it reported, to the point where it sells for just 13 times earnings. I think they're being pigeonholed as a smartphone play at a time when Wall Street's worried about smartphone sales, even though they have a bunch of other businesses. That's one of the reasons why we're buying it so aggressively for the charitable trust. We think this thing's ridiculous. Qualcomm seems to have the same idea, because today we learned that they completed the acquisition of driver from SSW Partners. This is going to drastically expand their advanced driver assistance systems business. Can this deal finally force Wall Street to acknowledge the reality that there's a lot more to this company than phones? Certainly look like today's stock jumped nearly 5%. So let's take a closer look. This is very exciting. Christiano Oman, uh, the president and CEO of Qualcomm, will learn more about this deal and everything else the company has going for it. Christiano, welcome back to Mad Money. Very happy to be here, Jim, talking to you. I won't miss it for the world. Well, I've got to tell you, I am very excited about this deal, as you know, because we've talked a lot about it. Can you tell people about the strategic merits of the deal and what it means for Qualcomm, I think, which is now going to be a leader in ADAS? Absolutely. Look, this acquisition, it's a very important milestone for Qualcomm. If you remember, when I just became CEO, I I had... No choice. It's not what new CEOs really wanted to do. I have to put a competing bid offer to acquire this asset. And the driver asset, now I have a proven computer vision stack. Uh, the driver policy combined forces with the Qualcomm R&D on driver's policy and our SOC for the Snapdragon ride. And that is a great uh, platform for ADAS. Here's what's different. 
about the Qualcomm ADAS. It's an addition to our digital chassis. We're building a whole digital chassis for the automotive industry. And it is scalable and open. Our vision, Jim, we need to get scale with assisted driving and autonomy. We can bring this from the premium car down to uh, entry-level cars and multi-generation. And it's really a multi-tier, open, scalable platform. We have GM uh, working with us for the uh, Ultra Cruise, Mm -hmm. Super Cruise. We announced BMW, and there's a lot of interesting things coming into the future. Super excited about ADAS and the automotive business, and hopefully investors will realize there's more to Qualcomm than comms and phones. Well, Mary Barra told me she's incredibly excited about what you've got and why she chose you. Now, there are companies like Mobileye and NVIDIA. they They have options, too. Why would you go with Qualcomm over those others? Look, the interesting thing about what we're doing is our DNA comes from mobile. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to put a, a server in the trunk of a car. If you look when Mary Barra was a CS and she opened the trunk and they show a little box with passive cooling only, I said, this is where the entire autonomy is running. I think this is what Qualcomm can do. And the other thing which is unique to Qualcomm, we're not just providing a DAS solution. We're providing a DAS the entire digital cockpit solution, the connectivity with the car to the cloud and the cloud service platform, it's about providing truly a digital chassis. So there's a lot of competition oh, out there. We respect that. We know it a new entrant. But I think the success we have in a short period well, of time is because we actually come with something which is very well, we, innovative. You, you, but you got to put some numbers to it. What does it mean for the company? How many billions can it be this year, next year, the year after? Because we need people to think about Qualcomm as a different company. Yes, our automotive now is in excess of $13 billion of a contracted backlog. We said the next five years is going to show up in $3.5 billion uh, revenue. And we, we expect it to get to an $8 billion uh, within uh, the decade. So, and I, you know, honestly speaking, the type of, of uh, messages we're getting back from the largest OEMs and the OEMs that already selected Qualcomm, I think there's a lot of opportunities for us, and it's going to be a big business. Uh, and $13 billion for contracted backlog, it's not small by any no, of no. Now, I know we're in quiet periods, so you can't talk directly about the numbers, but there are a lot of people who have been saying, you know what, maybe this 5G cycle really isn't so special, and maybe it's not going to mean that much. Now, no one knows 5G better than you, sir. Is that true? Okay, so let me tell you, uh, I'm going to answer your question, Jim, by saying, what are investors not getting right about Qualcomm, okay? We're more more than a comms company. We're about providing connected processors, you know, for the edge, in addition to what we're doing with handsets. The diversification is working, but handsets is also very good. And here's what the investors are making the wrong comparison. They look at what happened in 3G and 4G, and they say, look, 5G cycle uh, may be completed, and, uh, and it's going to slow, slow it down. Look what's happening to Qualcomm today. I'll give, you some, I'll give you some math. Android is 85% of the global handsets. Our fiscal 21 revenues were 40% higher in revenue than our nearest competitor. We're really focused on share wallet. Yes, we're happy with the 5G, but we're also giving the processor for the premium and the high tier. And just look, for example, of the Galaxy from Samsung. If you right. look at the Galaxy, which is the number one competitor of Apple, the Galaxy S21, our share was about 
40 to 50%. The Galaxy S22 that just launched, just launched, we climb up to uh, in the order of 75%. Well, if that's so, the case, the, why aren't you buying back a ton of stock at 12 times earnings, Christian? There's no better investment than your stock. Yeah, look, we had, uh, uh, we, it, we had increased our dividend. We talk about annualized dividend targets, high single digits, uh, low double digits uh, growth rates. And uh, we are going to continue to look at opportunistic buyback. But we want to maintain strategic flexibility okay. uh, for also for M&A because we see diversification working for the company. It's working in auto. It's working on IoT. And we want it to grow fast. Well, let's leave it there because, boy, do I ever agree with you. And you know that. I want to congratulate you on this acquisition because it really does change the mosaic of Qualcomm. And some of these analysts better start realizing because this train is going and leaving the station. Cristiano Amon is the CEO of Qualcomm. Great as always to see you, sir. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. You know my Chapel Trust owns it. We talk aggressively about it for the uh, club. We got a club call on Thursday. I'm going to talk about Qualcomm again. Please listen in. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, winners and losers from the quarter gone by. Kramer passes on lessons that could make you money the remainder of the year. Next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Thursday, the first quarter ended with a whimper. The S&P 500 finishing down 5%. Its worst performance since the first quarter of 2020. The past is ugly. Future is, at best, confusing. At worst, totally bleak. Even on a good day like today, you have people freaking out all day about how the inverted yield curve means we're headed for a recession, especially since the Federal Reserve seems eager to raise interest rates aggressively, stop inflation. At the same time, we're getting some early signs that inflation may be cooling on its own which would mean the Fed might not have to hit the brakes on the economy so hard. Again, confusing. Either way, it's a difficult moment to get your head around. That's why tonight I want to take the temperature of the market and give you a sense of where we are right now. See, we got a full quarter worth of data about what's working and what's not as of 2022 first quarter. So what can we learn from the action? It's a really interesting takeaway here. Let's start with the obvious. The first quarter was bad, real bad, but the pain was not distributed equally. The Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 only pulled back 4 to 5%. While the tech-heavy Nasdaq plunged 9%, Russell 2000 small cap index tumbled 8%. At the same time, all of the benchmarks have rebounded hard from their lows. 
Dow and the S&P, which are full of mature companies, bottomed on February 24, the day Russia invaded Ukraine. But the Nasdaq took longer. It didn't bottom until three weeks ago. But since then, it's rallied more than 15 percent for a much larger bounce than the other indices. And a lot of this, people stayed very bearish. And a lot of the analysts got very bearish when they should have been bullish. Now, what does this tell us, though? Here's my theory. The first part of the quarter, January and most of February, was driven by fear, specifically the fear of higher interest rates and then the fear of Russia doing something crazy in Ukraine. Whenever fear reigns, it's the high multiple stocks that get sold first, hence the extreme weakness in tech and the small caps. However, in March, after the Russian invasion turned into a stalemate, sending oil and grain prices into the stratosphere, we started worrying that the Fed might have to get more aggressive in its fight against inflation. As soon as people started talking about the prospect of multiple 50 basis point rate hikes, that changed the calculus for the formerly high-flying tech stocks. Many of these are regarded as what we call secular growers, meaning their business can do just fine in a Fed-mandated recession. So tech came roaring back while the more balanced averages like the Dow and the S&P have lagged in recent weeks. Plus, let's ignore the fact, very simple, that the Nasdaq has bounced the hardest because it was down the most. When they first caught fire in March, a ton of the strength was short covering from bearish investors who'd been betting against these stocks since November, and they wanted to ring the register. Never blame a short seller for trying to take a profit. Now, there are two factors that have drove the action in the first quarter. Interest rates, which I already mentioned, and energy prices. Oil finished the quarter at 100, but while it's still up nearly 40% for the year, uh, it also down substantially from its highs last month. Right now, the price of crude is caught in a tug of war between geopolitics. Nobody but China and India want Russian oil if they can avoid it, which creates a shortage, and worries about a Fed-mandated recession that will crush demand. So now let's talk winners and losers so we get a little more granular. Given these incredible runs in oil and gas, the energy sector was by far the best performer, but up more than 37% in the first quarter. I mean, the you knew that was going to happen. I hate markets that are led by energy because it's like an army led by General Custer. The followers really make it out alive. Other than energy, only the utilities managed to rally in the first quarter, which is really amazing uh, because they're classic recession-resistant stocks. Uh, AEP, one of our favorites, just was phenomenal in the first quarter. Everything else was down, some a little like the financials, the staples, the industrials, and the health cares, some a lot like tech, consumer discretionary, and communication services. The latter group crushed by biggest appointments from the mega cap stocks, yes, like Facebook and Netflix. How about individual winners and losers? The five best performers in the Dow Jones average were Chevron, okay, Travelers, much better than expected quarter, American Express, opening around the world, Dow, happened to have a cup, be able to put through a bunch of price increases, and Caterpillar. It's an oil and insurance company, a credit card company, and then a pair of classic smokestack stocks. Worst performer in the Dow, this was rather shocking, was Home Depot. This is without them ever saying anything bad. They told it straight. They didn't give you much of a forecast. Followed by Nike, and that was worries about China. Salesforce, 3M, Walgreens. Home Depot and Nike are in there because of worries about housing and the consumer in general. doesn't seem to matter that Nike had an excellent quarter last week, and I think you can go higher. Salesforce, owned by my charitable trust, is a great company that unfortunately belongs to a hated group. 3M is being gutted by litigation that I just don't think you can get a handle on. Walgreens is another one that reported a good quarter last week but can't get any love because it didn't raise its guidance, and so it's written off as a COVID winner. What a curse. How about the top five in the S&P 500? Now, this is very interesting because, of course, you've got Oxy, all right? Uh, 
oil, mosaic, fertilizer. This is a lot of this is Russian shortage. OK, then uh, APA, which is I'm sorry, then Halliburton, which is a stock owned by the Travel Trust, which I like. That's because we believe that that oil companies are going to be drilling more than they currently are. Remember, a lot of them have shut down. APA is one that I really am interested in. This, this is one that's largely natural gas at a time when natural gas is needed around the globe. Watch that stock. It could be good. It's going to be able to get the pipe to get able to get it to market, too. Doing a lot of work on that one. And the marathon oil, which speaks for itself. Of the top 20, 16 are energy plays, three are ag plays, and the last one's a takeover story. I mean, well, hey. What else was there? If you weren't in oil oil and gas, you did poorly. Now, how about the S&P's five biggest losers? The first is this wild trader, EPAM, which is a software and tech consulting company that has a lot of employees in Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. Tough situation. Then we've got Etsy, talked about that at the top, PayPal, very out of favor, right? And Netflix. And I've got to tell you, I I, I saw after the close that PayPal got recommended by Wells Fargo. Maybe that helps it. I don't know. Um, IPG Photonics, this is a very interesting one. This is a laser company with significant operations in Russia. If you look at the biggest winners in NASDAQ 100, you'll see some very interesting stories. There's Splunk, and that's that data analytics company. It's making a big comeback because it's got a new CEO whom we're just crazy about, Gary Steele. It's up 28% in the first quarter. 28%. Pretty good. Then there's Activision Blizzard. Now, that's a video game takeover story because it's being bought by Microsoft. Regulators will. You got a couple of drug stocks with a good pipeline. There's Vertex Pharma. They have a possibly non-addictive pain reliever that was covered well by Meg Terrell today. And AstraZeneca, which is actually number six, but I'm including it because Activision doesn't really count as a takeover. Then there's Exelon. Yes, utility, classic recession-proof stock. And then Dollar Tree, which is turning around thanks to a push from an activist investor that we talked about just last week when we said that we still like Dollar General more, but Dollar Tree's okay. Now, you can also learn even more, I think, from the losers. And a lot of these we covered at the top of the show. But it's worth delving deeper because this is what the story was for a lot of different funds. There's uh, PayPal, Netflix, Zoom, Video, and Facebook. We're all run. Look at these. This is horrible, right? Uh, PayPal belongs to one of the most hated groups in the market. There are too many fintech plays. mentioned that at the top of the show. Uh, Netflix and Facebook, both which are now, you know, changed the name to Meta, had quarters that were viewed as extremely disappointing. Big number cuts. As for Zoom, it's a pandemic stock that, as we mentioned, desperately needs a new narrative in what increasingly feels like a post-pandemic world. Of these, I told club members at our morning meeting today that I would buy Facebook, now Meta Platforms, a Aggressively, And I said it several times at the 1020 meetings. I wanted club members to know. I think the second half could be huge for them. Next up is Align Technology. That's the maker of Invisalign braces. I don't know what to say here. They keep putting up good results. The stock's now cheaper than it was before COVID. Take a look at that one. And then there's Lucid Group. We went out to see them. Remember the electric vehicle startup? Down 33%. It's another hated stock. They, did, they missed their numbers. Finally, Okta. It's a cybersecurity stock that lost nearly a third of its value, not only because it's a tough environment for high multiple stocks, but they also got hacked, and people don't expect a security company to get hacked. Not a great advertisement. So here's the bottom line. This market's screaming that we're headed for a Fed-mandated slowdown that could possibly become a Fed-mandated recession. If we get more, inflate, more signs that inflation is cooling on its own, like the pullback in oil, then some of the hardest-hit stocks might end up looking pretty enticing, including some that I talked about at the top. Of the show. Sydney in Virginia, Sydney. Yes, Booyah Jim from Booyah. Richmond, Virginia. Booyah, what's on what's in your mind? I want to know about Whirlpool. It's been down a lot recently. Overall, is it, it a variety of prices? 
Oh, a value trap. Okay, no, I don't think it's a value trap. I think that what happened is they are not able, they are like, aren't able to make all the machines that they need to make. And I think people feel that when they finally catch up, they'll have too many machines and there'll be a glut. But you get 4% yield. You got Mark Bitzer. Mark Bitzer should come on. I like talking to him. He's really terrific. I think that stock's a buy at six times earnings. I have to do more work on them. But the way to do it is to have him come on. He's an articulate person for the case for Whirlpool. And I like it. I like your question and you should buy it. All right. If we get more signs that inflation is cooling on its own, then some of the hardest hit stocks might end up looking pretty darn enticing. Much more money, money ahead, including something I'm really excited about. Top brass of food tech group, Lender Group. And then JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon released his letter to shareholders today. I'm sharing my key takeaways and who I think should take some cues from it. And of course, all your calls rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Okay, picture this. You pull up an app and have the menu for Bobby Flay steak at your fingertips. You punch in your order and then you wait for the meal to come to you. But unlike how this would normally play out, they don't make it at the restaurant. Instead, the food's actually prepared en route inside the delivery vehicle, which looks like a food truck. Then they fire, finish, and plate it right outside your door and serve it to you as soon as it's ready. Now, I've had this magnificent experience multiple times now, courtesy of a new privately held company called Wonder, which operates in northern New Jersey, but has plans to expand across the wealthier parts of the tri-state area. Wonder is the latest venture of Mark Laurie, the serial e-commerce entrepreneur who founded Quidzy and Jet.com. The former got bought by Amazon. The latter got bought by Walmart. Hey, that's a pretty good track record, which is why we want to learn more about this new business before it goes mainstream. Tonight, we had a chance to check in with Mark Laurie himself, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Wonder Group, outside of his, one of his Wonder trucks right here in our studio in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Oh, man, I love this story. Take a look. All right, Mark, I've had the privilege of the wonder, but many others haven't yet. I'm in Jersey. <laughs> Tell the rest of the country what awaits. Yeah, sure. So wonder is basically mobile restaurants. That's the best way to put it. Uh, we've created 17 restaurant chains from scratch, vertically integrated, across 17 different cuisines, everything from a Bobby Flay steak at sort of premium side down to pizza, burgers, everything in between, Mexican, Chinese, Japanese, Italian, Middle Eastern. The truck basically pulls up in front of your house, cooks the food in a high-speed convection oven in a matter of minutes, and brings it to your door piping hot. All right, well, here's what we thought when we've ordered. We've ordered many of yours. We think we're giving you a beating. We think you can't possibly be making money because we order so much. That's wrong, isn't it? That's absolutely wrong. Tell we're, me. We're vertically integrated, so if you think about it, uh, there's one person on the vehicle that both drives and cooks. The average drive time is only eight minutes given the order density. So it's not very expensive in terms of the drive time. And all the cooking is done very fast because we've engineered the food and spent a long time and a lot of money investing so that a, a, a lower skilled or lower trained person could cook the food with, largely with the push of a button very quickly so we could turn out really high quality food. All the heavy lifting is done in a big central commissary kitchen where we'll par cook the food. Now, but the food have, is cooked on the truck. Right. Now, that's why I know because it's, it's an hot. oven. No microwave. No, it, it was delicious. Uh, I also ordered some liquor from you guys. It was terrific. Smorgies. You're doing that, too? Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell me, uh, it can work anywhere, can't it? It can. 
I mean, because these restaurants uh, are mobile, we don't need a high amount of daily volume to make the restaurant economical. So at $1,000 a night, it's very profitable. A restaurant can't go into many areas because there's not enough revenue to support the brick-and-mortar infrastructure. We can go into areas that restaurants can't go into, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing so well, is that we've basically created and turned CapEx into a variable expense. And we can go into an area very quickly and launch 17 cuisines and make them available to everyone without having to put a stake in the ground or have to find a piece of land. All right, well, look, I, there has to be tremendous R&D because this is just not a heater. Yeah, it's not a heater. We've got 80 R&D food engineers and food scientists have been working on this for a long time to, to be able to pump out that sort of quality food. Again, with someone who's, who's you know, I'm going through a core training. Three days, I can be on the truck cooking Bobby Flay oh steak. Oh, my God, really? It's not, it's not um, you don't need to be, you know, a, a serious chef to be turning out well, this look, type of food. Well, you are a serial disruptor. This one seems like winner take all to me. It really does. You're first. You've got a great board. You've got the capital. When people... When people download the app, they're, they're shocked at what's what's offered. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, it's no. it's. I mean, we're only in 20 towns right now in a contiguous area of New Jersey, but we're growing fast. We're adding about 10 mobile restaurants a week, and then we're just yeah starting to starting to really ramp up now. Okay, so my friends in uh, Manhattan say, ah, it's a suburban thing. I wish you, I wish you could come out and see me. That's not true. It can come to the city. It can come to the city. We wouldn't have one person on the truck. The model would be slightly different given the order density. You'd have a driver, somebody cooking, and then a runner. But you can imagine, we can cook wood-fired pizza in about three minutes and four at a time. So imagine in New York City, you're turning out four pizzas every three minutes, handing it to a runner, and they're literally going a block, delivering the pizza and running back. Okay, so uh, you have got some really high-profile partners. I don't, I mean, I'm not considering because the pizza is unbelievable. But they're all big name people. How did you get them involved? You're talking about the investors the and the chefs. Oh, the chefs! Yeah, the chefs are the best. Yeah. You've got TV chefs. Bobby Flay, Nancy Silverton from Pizza Remotes in yeah, L.A. Good, Marcus Samuelson. Um, I didn't see him yet on the app. What's that? Samuelson. Samson's coming. Is it's he? coming. Okay. So is so is ramen ramen noodles. I know you like ramen <laughs> yeah, noodles. You I mean, the one ramen. I, I mean, look, we we I am a serial order, frankly, because I didn't believe it. I simply did not believe <laughs> it. And you know, when we heard it was you, frankly, we just knew from Jet.com, from Diaper, we knew it had to be just totally disruptive. Yeah. You do not get involved in something unless it completely upends. How did you know that you could upend? I mean, that's just like any entrepreneur. You have a vision for it, you right. think you can upend, but not until you actually do it. Um, and, and we, I think, exceeded expectations. I, I didn't know, you know, when we had the idea early on, you could cook a Bobby Flay steak in minutes and have it come out perfect every time. Well, I have seen you in every one of your ventures, but I've never seen you this excited. This is for real. <laughs> I'm real excited. I'm really excited. Now, yeah, this can, is everything I've been working on, you know, on in my life has led up to this. Right. You know, this is it. No, we do have tremendous consumer inflation. We know that consumers hurt. I felt... I, honest to God, I thought this was one of the great bargains. Is that possible that you are actually coming in under if I went to the restaurant in some cases? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely under if you were to order in uh, from, a, from a, a delivery aggregator. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper than that. There's no fees associated with it. And we've got, like I said, we do have the steakhouse. But we've also got two family-style concepts where you can feed a family of four yes. for $40. We've got the taqueria Mexican right. and then the, the, way, uh, we the regular. That was six. Yeah, you, I mean, six. you said you give much bigger portions. Yeah. People have to know. I mean, look, I'm not a salesman for you. I, well, I have to love it. But this is, <laughs> we just think this thing is a wonder. 
We just mm-hmm. think that we were so afraid you were losing money on everyone and you close it. That's clearly not the case. Yeah. No, not when you're vertically integrated. Think about it. $1,000, food is 250 You have one person, you got some depreciation. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of money to be made here. And it will be made nationwide, right? You're not stopping in no, Jersey. No, this is, it's, we're going we're gonna to continue to scale it. Now, the restaurants don't mind. Even though it could conceivable, I guess, experiential, you still want to go to a serious restaurant. Yeah, we're not cannibalizing restaurants right, at not all. At all. Yeah. No, not at all. Okay, at so all. Is, uh, do you have the money to be able to do this? Yeah, we've raised quite a bit of capital so far. And, uh, yeah, we're not, I mean, we have plenty of capital. Well, what's the biggest challenge? Hundreds of millions. What's you know? the biggest challenge right now? Biggest challenge? Um, we've worked with some really big challenges. Now it's just buckled down in execution. So to add 10 mobile restaurants a week, and then eventually 20 and 50 a week and 100 a week. Like, that's the challenge. And so it's, it's you know, the traditional, you know, right. scaling issue. One last question. People are always talking about, well, P, uh, pandemic, we have to be at home. Do we still want to be at home? I guess so. If we can yeah. eat at home, I mean, it's a great meal. Give, give family more time to just, like, sit down and have a meal together, a proper, nutritious, dense meal. I mean, our, our mission, we, we believe everyone has a right to great food. Right. That's nutrition, nutritious, dense. Um, it's affordable, sustainable. And, um, yeah, we All see. Right, one last question. Yeah. We, I have to admit, we did, uh, we did uh, Chinese and we did uh, Bobby Flay. Oh, that's okay? Night. Is that's that all right? T- totally you okay. Mind? I mean, given, again, given the drive time is only eight minutes, it's not that expensive. It's only about a few all dollars extra. So. All right. We didn't want to be the reason why you nope. didn't stay in business. No. No problem. Okay. Two trucks. Two <laughs> trucks away. <laughs> that's Mark Laurie, founder, chairman, CEO of Wonder Group. Guys, just go on the app. You won't believe what awaits you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dagger on the lightning round because we're going to with Kyle in Illinois. Kyle. Booyah, Jim, from the windy city of Chicago. How much do we love Chicago here? Yes. What's up? Love it. Love it. I am looking at a semiconductor supplier company. What are your opinions on KLIC? They are a very well-run company, but I have to tell you, I like Kel. K-L-A-C better. And my favorite is L-R-C-X. Lamp. That's the one to buy. Kevin in, in Nevada. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Wanted to thank you for everything you do. Ah, you're a good man. Thank you. Also, also wanted to get your take on PSEC, Prospect Capital Corporation. Okay, I do not I've been know what kind of, this, I, this has come up for me several times, and I don't know what's in. They have to open their books to let me show to know how they get that big yield. So, therefore, I'm gun-shy. Amato in Florida. Amato. Oh, yeah, Jim. Hello from the Space Coast, Merritt Island, Florida. What do you think of Fox AUPA? Pharmaceuticals. Is it a game changer? It hasn't been so far. Um, well, let me tell you how I approach this one. You can have this as your spec. It's not been a great spec before, but it's down a lot. But I do not think that their lack of success so far has not been great. Michael in California. Michael! Booyah, Jim! Booyah! I'm a loyal investing club member. I look forward to the meeting every morning. Yes, 1020, me and Jeff Marks. Thank you. What's up? You guys are fun, and I appreciate your insights on 
the market, individual stocks, and Thank managing you. a portfolio. Thank you. Hey, I'm calling about, I uh, wanted to get your opinion on a small digital advertising company. They've only been public over a year. Uh, they've, um, they're profitable, and they got a P.E. ratio of okay. about 27. Okay, okay. What's the name? Uh, Pubmatic. Oh, I know and Pubmatic's you- very well. And I have to tell you, my, my, they're good, but you just got to stick with Google. Pubmatic is good. Uh, it, it, it's just Google is best in show. You know that because you're a member of the club, right? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. What can home gamers and the White House learn from Jamie Dimon's annual letter? Some bankable takeaways next. Kramer, you are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. you think bankers are the scum of the earth, you got to read Jamie Dimon's annual letter to J.P. Morgan shareholders. Like every year, it's incredibly well thought out and full of good ideas. Even if you're a card-carrying communist who despises both banks and CEOs, an attitude that seems increasingly common, you should still read the letter. Dimon's thoughts about where we are as a nation really hit home in this perilous time. I think his annual letter should be required reading for every politician, and frankly, anyone else who wants to make America a better place. As he says, at a minimum, we should all agree that we need regulations and policies that foster growth rather than crippling innovation or investment. But it's not enough to have those policies. They also need to be consistent and reliable. As someone who's started and run many businesses, I say that many regulations feel arbitrary and capricious. Diamond points out that we need to build a new strategic and competitive framework with our allies, especially as it relates to China. He urges us not to fear a rising China, although he does believe that the West needs to take a harder line with the PRC, because as it is now, there's no fairness in our trading relationship. He has what I think is a totally inspired idea here. He says we should ask the Chinese government to give humanitarian aid to Ukraine, never mind that the People's Republic is Russia's number one ally. He makes the point that China's trade with the U.S. and Western Europe totaled $3.6 trillion last year. Its trade with Russia was just $150 billion. Considering that disparity, we'd be nuts not to lean on China to commit to helping the brave Ukrainian people. They won't send weapons, but Ukraine needs all sorts of non-military assistance right now. Of course, China probably won't go for it, but... Even if it's purely an exercise in trolling, I think it's a good idea. After the recent pictures of Russian bushery, it's time to put China on the spot to see who they really side with. What else? Diamond reiterates his Marshall Plan for energy security. We could work with our allies in Europe to first provide them with all the liquefied natural gas they need to wean themselves off Russian gas. Then we help them make a seamless transition from fossil fuels to renewables. And, of course, he wants a strong America that respects all of its citizens with a more equitable labor market, one that he honors with what he calls the dignity of work. Now, I hesitate to say much more about these more ethereal topics because his, his historically large pay package means it's hard for a lot of people to take him seriously. And when he talks about equity in the labor market, but, well, that's the America we've made. As a student of Diamond's letters over many years, I'll tell you that this one is far more downbeat, both because of the war in Ukraine and the fractured nature of our country's politics. 
At the same time, it's far more practical in terms of coming up with ways to blunt China, build better relationships with our allies, and improve the standing of business. Kind of a very, kind of you were running for president, you would say these things. What I wish most is that our president and his team study the letter, not necessarily for strategy. We know it by months, but it's tactics. Like it or not, business is the most powerful force in America, most powerful force for social change. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's a fact. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has alienated big business, which makes it much harder to get things done in the country. Other than Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, few in this administration seem to have their pulse on. Uh, they don't have the pulse, uh, uh, not just of industry, but what's going on in the corporate world. They don't get it. I think that's a shame. You can learn from anyone, even the CEO of the biggest bank in the world. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.